We've got some fresh new young talent doing some things that I know you haven't heard before. One, two, three, listen. You gotta have a like the why, and we know our why. So you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yep. Millions and millions of people have done this already. You can get help, you can get a roadmap, you can save a lot of time, money, and frustration. <laughs> Welcome to the Value Add Podcast with K&K. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Value Add Podcast with K&K. Wow. Uh, today, we have Aaron Taylor with us. I've known Aaron and was introduced to him through a mutual friend of ours, Dave Plutner. Um, and we used to manage his property when I had the property management company. Um, but Aaron is a former NFL player. He graduated from Notre Dame. Um, you played for the Green Bay Packers, won a Super Bowl, and played for nice. the Chargers. Um, and now he's a CBS sports analyst, and he also talks a lot about mental health and leadership and um, teamwork. 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 So, yeah, Aaron, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. I mean, this is quite the production you guys have going on. Sweet. Thanks, I like that try. you like it. It's I've, awesome. I've heard a lot about K&K. Now we're adding some AT to it. There you oh, go. Yeah. Who knows what sort of acronyms and <laughs> <in> initials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Um, so obviously we just did a snapshot. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your career, your life, and like basically how we're here today. Uh, I'm a Scorpio. Uh, I like long walks on the beach. Nice. Um, <laughs> grew up in a uh, single-parent household. My parents got divorced when I was two, and wow. that was probably a good thing, figuring you know what I know now about what that situation was like. But I was the classic kid that moved around a lot. I was always the new kid in school and always having to fit in new friends, new school, new everything, and that was hard. Compounding that was the fact that I was biracial and had some sexual abuse stuff that happened to me early on as a kid. Wow. So I was navigating a lot and in, in not doing a very good job of it. So I became a DNF student, ended up getting kicked out of the house at the age of 14 and kind of had one of those come to Jesus moments with my mom uh, when I snuck back into the house about 10 minutes after she had gotten home from work. Wow. And man, I wish you guys could have seen the look on her face when I got to the top of the stairs. But the day I got kicked out of the house was the start of me kind of turning things around. And it's the old saying, right? If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. I was just, I was really driven by trying to fit in. And once I could channel my energy and what I ended up focusing on was football, uh, the world opened up to me, man. That's when the invisible doors started to open. Everybody worked hard. But when I worked hard, I got 12% better, 16% better. And I just had this natural God-given ability that... Uh, Thankfully, man, knock on wood, one way or the other, I was able to tap into. And when I channeled my energy and started focusing on what it is I wanted and was willing to do the work necessary to create that success, man, the sky was the limit. So that led to me going to Notre Dame. Wow. Um, at the time, they were two years removed from a national championship. I went to a Catholic high school, De La Salle in Concord, California. Go Spartans. You got any Spartans <laughs> <you're> listening? <laughs> Um, graduated in three and a half years, and wow. what really attracted to me about Notre Dame was that they graduated 97% of their student-athletes, particularly the football players. I wasn't the best student in the world, but I knew I wasn't 3%, so <laughs> I'm like, I could do that. <laughs> That's so awesome. I ended up going there, get drafted to Green Bay. Is at the right place at the right time. Uh, they had some hotshot quarterback named Brett Favre. Ah. <laughs> they needed an O lineman, man, and uh, I got drafted. Unfortunately, I got hurt right out of the gate, and that kind of is a whole another story of, of redemption, if you will. But 
was lucky enough to play there for four years, go to back-to-back Super Bowls. We won Super Bowl 31, and uh, wow. I'm just living proof, man, that you can outkick your coverage and being at the right place at the right time. That's the story of my life, basically. But um, I'm just – it's an honor to be here. Even how I met you and how the building that we acquired is one of those kind of divinely – intervened upon situations so that's a if there is a theme to my life it's that it's better to be lucky than good I love it wow I didn't really know all that about your story so that's like it's crazy but it's really inspiring too because I think there's a lot of people out there who come from really hard situations Mm -hmm. and they're looking for that that like positivity and that light and you're like the absolute success story like the you know, I mean, people really strive for that. So I think that's really empowering. And I know that you're starting that podcast, which we'll get into later, but hopefully your story will definitely spread positivity to a lot of other people and spark some growth too. Yeah, I hope so, man. Yeah. I mean, this this thing's about the spiritual fruitcake, right? You just freely receive and freely give and just, I've been the beneficiary of so many people that have taken care of me or looked out for me yeah. or mentored me and helped me. And that's all I'm trying to do is reciprocate that and do as much good in the world as I can to make up for my twenties and thirties. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I didn't know your, I didn't know that was going to be your story. Honestly, I was sitting here going, kind of oh, wow. for a loop. We have no. like, these questions, yeah, and I was what? like, whoa, what no, are we going to do? Yeah, now? oh, we got, I could come. <laughs> I know. Um, it was funny because quick sidetrack. I don't know if you know about David Goggins. Do you know anything about him? No, but you gave me his book, and I'm looking forward to reading. It. You okay. were all excited, so tell because me because you were kind of going his. Your upper, how he was raised and what he went through, there's a similarity. So I was uh, like, holy smokes, that is really, that book's really going to knock your socks off. You're going to relate like big time. Perfect. So, anyway, side note. But um, I was just listening to you. My one thing was, is um, what, when you talked about all that and getting to this point in your life, what, how are you here? Is it the drive or how, how is it? How is, because that's the, that's, this is the million dollar question. There's so many people that have, they get they have it easy in life. They they've got good parents. They've got the money. They got all this stuff, and then they're just they're just they sh- if they had the struggle, they could have been something better yeah. because they had to like reach and pull and claw at it and really move. You know what I'm saying? Is and you you weren't given anything and you had to earn everything. So is it the drive or what is it? That's a that's a great question and it's complex. I think the thing that hit me first, Kenny, when you were asking me that was everybody wants to be successful. But not everybody's willing to do what that success requires. And I think one way or another, I, I was <laughs> uh, thrust into situations where I had to figure it out. It was sink or swim. And that, to me, is the gift that I was given. It's interesting. I had a, a conversation with a mentor at one time and was talking about how God and I co-created you know, my talent to be able to go out and play and live my dream of being a professional football player. And he's like, oh, tell me a little bit more about that. And I was like, well, shoot, man, like, there's no question being six foot four at 14 years old and 280 pounds. Genetics was on my side, right? But the part I take responsibility for was the work ethic, right? Like, I went and ran around the track when it was 95 degrees and I lifted weights and, you know, I was willing to make sacrifices and sign contracts about using drugs and alcohol in high school and yada, yada, yada. Like that was the role that I played. Mm -hmm. He's like, man, did you ever play with any guys that were talented, but that didn't have the work ethic? And I was like, yeah, a ton. Mm -hmm. He's like, well, so where'd you get your work ethic from? I was like, I don't know, man. It's just kind of always been there. And I was like, I watched my mom work hard. 
And he kind of smiled, and that's when the light bulb went off for me. Everything in my life has been a gift. The mm-hmm. genetics, but also the drive and the work ethic and being born to a mother that was a hard worker as a single mm-hmm. mom that worked nights as a pediatric ICU nurse at Children's wow. Hospital in Oakland for 25 <clears throat> years and then later would become a hospice in-home caregiver. Like, wow. I had great models, and that's where I won the lottery at birth, right? Like, from a genetic standpoint, but also being born into a household that was conducive, uh, where college wasn't if I was going, it was where I was going. So those seeds were planted early on. So I look at that as a gift, too. Yeah, I showed up and I did the work, but there was something inside of me that was given to me that was innate that I don't have anything to do with that I think is on the same level of my genetics. I don't have anything to do with which parents I was born to, and, and neither of them are nearly as tall as me. My grandmother's 6'4", so I think I probably got some genetics from her, but uh, my whole damn life's a gift, man. And and I think the older I get, and I'm 46 now, I just appreciate what everything, everything, like what I've been given, like the grace and the being at the right place at the right time and these chance encounters and these invisible doors that are opening and things working out in these miraculous ways that I can never even think or imagine, including being a DNF student at 13 years old, 280 pounds, had never lifted a weight in my life to wow. later, two years later, graduate in honors in high school wow. and graduate from Notre Dame in three and a half years. Like that transformation and being able to do that 180 I was there and involved, but in a lot of ways, I didn't have anything to do with that. Would you say that when you got kicked out of the house, was that kind of your rock bottom at the time that caused you, like kind of sparked that that transition for you? It, it certainly got my attention, Crystal. Like, I mean, I was <laughs> yeah. hanging out with my boy Joe at Cronkite Beach in San Francisco at a bonfire. Uh, I think Portia and Caprice were the two girls that we were with that night. <laughs> Shout out to you guys if you're listening to Richmond. Um, uh, but my mom worked nights yeah. at Children's Hospital. Uh, she always got home about 7.30, and I had fallen asleep because we were drinking Cisco, if you remember what that oh was. Oh, my gosh. Back I now, remember. Right? Everybody's <laughs> liver just went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> So I came home late, and she's like, where were you? I was like, oh, see, what ha- happened was. Uh, she's like, boom. She had had enough. And this was, you know event number 17 of how many in a row that uh, I had done. But she said, I've always told you, if you want to live in my house, you got to live underneath my rules. And if you don't want to do that, you got to find somewhere else to go. So I want you and your stuff out of here by 10. Wow. Wow. That'll give you some things to think about. And I called my boy Joe back and he came back and picked me up and I stayed at his house. And unbeknownst to me, my mom's talking with his mom and that whole deal. But during that week when I'm sleeping on his floor with his dirty socks and underwear, it uh, gave me reason to pause and think about, like, what the hell am I doing with yeah. my life? How did I end up here, right? So we ended up talking a week later, and, you know, it was a, one of those teary-eyed conversations. And I come home, and she says to me, now, I said, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I don't know. So I want to play pro football. Now, mind you, I had never, ever played football. My nickname was Fridge because the 1985 Bears were Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So they called me Fridge. I played backyard football, but so I want to play pro football. I said, well, how do you do that? I said, well, so you got to go to college, and they just draft you, and they give you a bunch of money. Oh, you just go really? to college. <laughs> Does everybody get drafted? It's like, nah, 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 just the, you know, the really good guys. I was like, oh, okay, well. 
what about grades? When I was in college, you have to have good grades. It was like, yeah, you got to have, you know, at least 2.0 and this and that. Okay, well, how do you get to college? Oh, you play high school and the colleges just give you a scholarship. Oh, yeah. they just give you a scholarship. Yeah. yeah. Does everybody get a scholarship? No, just, you know, the best guys and this and that. She's like, oh. So really, every time you go to school and you're drunk, if you even go, or get D's and F's on tests, what you're really saying is you actually don't want to be a pro football player. Isn't that right, Aaron? It's like, huh? <laughs> Reverse like, psychology. Yeah, yeah when, you're, when you're doing these things and hanging out with your buddies and going to Cronkite Beach and yada, 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 what you're really saying is that you don't actually want to be a pro football player. Isn't that right, Aaron? And boom, that was the moment that the light bulb went off for me where I realized there was a direct connection between my choices, my actions, and my consequences. Your mother was a smart woman. She was smart. How, how old were you? I was 14. What year was this? I was uh, ninth grade. Nice. So, nah, shoot, mm, uh, I graduated uh, 86 or 7? Okay. 88, maybe? So... Boom. I said, Mom, but they don't take football seriously at this high school. I was going to Mount Tam and Marin at the time, and we had a coach that stole our away money. Like, we all had to bring, like, $75 for the bus money for away games, and the coach stole it. The program was a oh disaster. Oh, my gosh. And I said, it's just, <clears throat> it's not conducive here. It's more of an artsy-fartsy school, whatever. So uh, the, the, the evening goes on. We're having dinner, and that night on television comes on this show talking about this high school, De La Salle High School across the bay that had this 44-game win streak. And I looked wow. at my mom, and I said, Mom, see, that's the type of place I need to be. And just the coach, whose name is Bob Latticer, who I didn't know at the time, was talking about how his players all inherently understood that they're not it, that they're part of it, that there's a greater calling and a commitment and accountability that are the fundamental tenets of our program. It was like all these big-ass words, and I didn't really know what they meant, but resonated somehow, and that was that. So I went to bed that night, and unbeknownst to me, my mom had called the school and said, you know, hypothetically, what would it take to go and this and that, and that was the ball starting to roll. Very shortly after that, a friend of hers at work said, hey, we've got this house in Concord that we're trying to rent. Do you know anybody that would like to rent a house in Concord? Happened to be about a mile and a half down the street from where De La Salle was. Another friend within weeks comes to her and says, hey, I've got this program called Baby Moms where registered nurses actually wean babies off of drugs when they're born to drug-dependent moms. It's tax-free money. It's almost double what your salary is. Would you be interested? And she was thinking about getting out of nursing. So when I talk about invisible doors starting to open, that was my first experience with that. That's crazy. The second I identified what it is I wanted, It just all fell into place, and all I had to do was show up, and the house, and the job, and the location, and the school all started to show up. I get tingles right now. I, I yeah, had me it. Too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's crazy. Because that's crazy. happened to me over and over and over and over and over in my life, and including the building that is in question of how we even met. That's crazy. Wow. So is that at that point in your life was that point was that the shift was that the mind that's where you're like. Like this happened, you notice that you're like, I need to, I need to seize this moment. Yeah, I, I think I was nervous and scared because oh, there's all these expectations. Yeah. Mom's you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. like, what did I say? Wait I a minute. Yeah, I'm only 14. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think at the time I was excited. I think deep down I wanted 
change, but yeah. I just didn't know what it would take. And man, was it a rude ass awakening when I got there. Showed up in the summer and you're running around the track. Oh, and it's 100 degrees and dry heat. So there was the physicality of it in terms of being able to push ourselves to be mentally strong and, and play football, right? I mean, it, it's that's the nature of the beast. But when practice started, that first day of pads, man, that was among the toughest days of my life. And I had a lot of bad habits. I was a lazy kid. And it was the classic, we're going to break you down before we build you back up. And I went home that day after that first practice. I couldn't line up right. I couldn't breathe right. I couldn't step right. I couldn't do anything correctly. And I went home that night thinking, oh, my God, I've made this terrible mistake. My mom's moved. She's quit her job. (laughs) I suck at football. Like, (laughs) we're jacked. Yeah. And my mom came into my room, man. Man, I get emotional talking about it because I was sitting on my bed on the side of the bed and I was in tears. And I'm like, Mom, I can't do this. I can't do this. They're, they're yelling at me and this and that. And I was like, I'm trying so hard, but I can't do it. And she looked at me and she said, Man, you got to figure out if what you want is important enough for you to do what it takes to create that. Are you going to be right or are you going to let them be right? It's like, I don't care what you do, Aaron. It's like, I'm just here to support you. If you want to get up in the morning, I'll have your breakfast ready. And if you don't get up, I know the decision you'll make. Boom. Wow. So I didn't know what I was going to do. And I got up that next morning. And I went. And the reason I'm emotional is because I didn't know how close I was to giving everything up. If I had succumbed to the fear and been afraid and not stepped into that, everything I've done since then would look different and probably have worked out good or, you know, some other positive outcome, but it would have been different than it's been. And I really enjoy and appreciate what it's been, even though it's been hard at times. And somehow, some way, I got up that next morning and breakfast was ready and I went to practice and I got it a little bit more that second day and that third day and that fourth day and that fifth day and ended up got it right a lot of days in a row and got a scholarship and was on USA Today's first ever you know high school all-american game and won the Lombardi in college and was a captain and first round draft pick and all of that was this close to not coming true had I been unwilling to step into that fear. And I think a big fundamental tenet of my life, and if there's a single thing I could tell my children, if it were my last words and there would be one thing I would want them to know, it would be this, that the goal in our life lies just beyond where we're afraid or unwilling to go. That when we are willing to do the thing that we're afraid to do, that we don't have to do it. When you face situations fearlessly, there is no situation to face. And thankfully, I learned that at 15 years old, sitting on the edge of my bed, when I got my ass up for practice number two. That's insane. I mean, wow. that, that was like a major fork in the road for you. <laughs> yeah, there's been, yeah. been wow. a bunch of forks and knives and Leathermans, too. There's been a, it's been an interesting oh, road, wow. but that was, that was kind of the first event that kicked me down this path that somehow, miraculously, I still find my ass on. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for sharing and being, like, open. That's, <clears throat> that's huge. I, and I, it's, I think, God, I don't know who says this. I think it might be Ed Milad. He says there's, he's maybe in his 50s. He's like, in your life, there's maybe 
three to five pivotal moments that where you land is those, how those moments went really dictate who you are. Mm -hmm. Like that was one of them. That was probably like your, there's probably other ones in your life too, but that was probably just some, that's one of those moments where we probably all had at some level, like you decided to push through. You could have slept in and your life could have been okay, but it would have just been different. Yeah. In so many different ways. Yeah. Uh, I think now would probably be a good time to talk about the fourth grade spelling bee that I won because that was a pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Man. I still got that trophy somewhere uh, <laughs> in the garage. But uh, you're right, man. Like, there might be four or five moments for all of us, yeah, right? And just... that was one of them. Asking my wife to marry me was another. Watching the birth of my first child and, like, just childbirth. Like, the miracle of life, man. Like, we're, we're so damn lucky just to be... Human, human, and alive, and that my ten fingers and toes work. It's you're. It's like one in four hundred billion or trillion that you were gonna be a human. You could have been a snail. You could have been a snail. I mean, no, I'm just saying this. That fact that we're humans, it's such a. It's that's. It's a lot of nothing. Like it's one in four hundred billion or trillion. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. Yeah. Like you guys just recently had your first yeah. child, right? Yeah. So. I mean, you take the 30 to 45 seconds of passion that, that created right. the opportunity, yeah. right? And the, the cells with the zygote, when the sperm hits the egg and, and those cells double and they become four and they've got this electrical charge and then that charge starts to synchronize with these four cells and that those four cells become the basis of what the four chambers of the heart are. And then those cells double again and double again. And then you get these little webbed hands and fingers. And the entire time, Crystal, living inside of your body, Right for nine months and growing in darkness, breathing fluid, and then on game day, yeah, when you come into the world, <gasps> yeah, you take yeah. a breath for the first time and do that for the next eighty-five years without interruption. Yeah, it's a freaking miracle, and we got to see. And I've been, I've been able to see two of, the, of my three children being born, but like, just the appreciation of, of <clears throat> what it takes to create life and how perfect it is man like that's where i get like all 46 year old you know sappy cry guy on podcasts it's like <laughs> it's a damn miracle man yeah like, it and, is. and this life is a gift and there's room to 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 feel this stuff and experience this stuff and be successful and make money and have successful businesses and podcasts there's room to make and a live living in a place like san diego and to live in san yeah. diego yeah like I think sometimes we stay so small-minded and think, oh, that can never happen to me or this and that. Like, who are you to say that it can't? Like, yeah. Yeah. why not you? So that's part of what I'm finally learning of myself and trying to share with my kids and somewhere or another help other people accomplish what it is they want to do in their own lives. I think that, that was really important, though, what you said in your story is just getting up that next morning it's like I think that's what stops people is taking that first step because everything is always scary if you've never done it. So it's doing that first thing, you know, closing on that first building or, you know, going to waking up to go to practice where you know you're going to get your ass kicked again, mm -hmm. where, you know, you think you suck or, you know, that there's so many other people better than you. It's that first step that people just need to take. And that's why we always say if somebody's like, oh, I'm thinking about doing this. It's like, no, no, no. You got to get in the game. You just do it. Do it. Of course, it, it, you're it, gonna suck the first time. It, it's so it's gonna happen. It's so funny because um, when you're on stage at the mine thing, um, 
and you're talking about sitting next to that person on the airplane, and he said, you just need to get in the game. It's funny, one of our investors that's here, um, he would just, we talked to him, like, oh, he's like, just get in the game. Just just buy, just, you got to buy a price, get in the game. And you're like, what? He goes, once you're in the game, then we can have a conversation because you're in the you're in the you're a spectator right you're now. Spectator. You're sitting in the stands. Like yeah. if you haven't played pro football, it's a different conversation than if you're sitting in this. And so we get in the game, and then we're in the game. He's like, now you get it, and I'm like, yes. So the conversation changes because you go from, oh my gosh, I'm gonna buy property to like, how am I gonna buy the next deal? How am I gonna like? So it's and when you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, it's like this is why people say this because that's what it means. Yeah, it's it's just life. It is. Get in the game of life. Get out of your head. Get in the game, go like you said, play. that where you're so fearful to go buy the product. Sometimes you, even if you buy a first deal and it might not be the best deal, you just got to get the first deal under your belt. Like, Yeah. That, that was the advice that Carlos was the name of the gentleman I sat next yeah. to on the plane. He said, Aaron, the trick is to be in the game. He said, once you're in the game, here's the deal. When you're in the game, the rules are written for you, and they work for you. When you're not in the game, the rules work against you. Remember that the rules are written by the people that created the game. Yeah. <clears throat> right? Don't beat them. Join them. Yep. Right. Get there and stay there. Right? So that axiom, that experience that you know your clients are, and this random guy that I sat next to on the plane, that only experience can give you. Now, the guy I was sitting next to is you know pushing 70, mid-70s. So he didn't start out there, yeah. but he learned that. And that's what's so great about what you guys are doing with your podcast is you're expediting and accelerating your listeners' ability to take lessons that it took people 50 years to get, right? Like knowledge and information, that's what our economy and currency is now, right? It's not what you, or who you know, it's what you know. And how quickly can you find people? Like I don't have to be an expert in managing buildings because I can hire Pacific Shore Management. Yeah. I don't have to be able to have you know, my, my weapons sharpened on being able to evaluate and identify deals because I've got people I have access to that Absolutely. can do that for me. I don't need to know everything, but I, I have to be – able to access the information of people that do. And I learned that, I think, as an athlete because I was focused on playing. But I would have my financial statements sent to my accountant, and I would have them kind of have, you know, checks and balances. I couldn't do everything that was required to run my life, but I was smart enough to hire people that could. And that's why having resources available like what you guys are doing at Pacific Shore Capital and management before you guys, you know, partnered and merged with Mind and all the different things you guys do, the experience, the transparency, the accountability, the integrity that I've enjoyed from working with you guys, the world needs that. Because again, you're damn good at what you do, but there's different ways to do business. And you guys, in my opinion, do it the right way, which is, again, one of those things I look at as being divine because this is how I choose to do business. This is how I live my life. This is what I do with the lady at Ralph's when I'm checking out with groceries. These are the calls from the kids at Notre Dame that I don't even know that I get that want help. These are the 12-step calls in recovery when somebody's struggling that I'll drive 50 miles in the middle of the night just to sit and listen. Wow. Like, I don't know how it works, but the more I'm of service and the more I give away, the more I get to keep. And I, I don't know how it works. I just watch it over and over and over and over and over. And that, in my opinion to a certain extent, is what you guys do, both individually and as a couple, but also from a company standpoint as well. 
Thank you. I appreciate yeah, I appreciate that. that. It's funny you say that because one of the podcasts we did was um, <clears throat> we talked about working together. So one of the things Crystal and I we realized is that, and I'm more probably transparent. I pushed her and I said, we can be transparent and it can help people because so many people can't even sit down and have just a deep conversation in a relationship. And we're not, we're talking a lot of people like, mm -hmm. a, like not 20%, like maybe 90% or eight. I don't know what it is, but so when we went on and we talked about a podcast of how we work together, how we live together, how we have a counselor, how you have to have a third party sometimes, how you're not going to agree on everything and how we deal with it. And, um, Monsi loves it. She'll push us to do more on that. But we realized the feedback I'm getting texts going, Hey, uh, that's amazing. Can I get your counselor's number and stuff? And I was like, Holy smokes. And I was like, people that I know are struggling with this and they can't even have a conversation with the person that's on the couch or in the bed because they don't know how to start that conversation. They don't even know how to bring it up. And it's, it's not that we're any better. It's because we just decided to put ourselves and say, Hey, we're going to go see a counselor. So we had that experience. So just like you said, I don't think it's a knowledge or we know everything. I think when you've had experiences in your life, you can basically say, Hey, I know you haven't gone down this road. I have, let me tell you about my experience. Take it however you want. But a lot of times people are like, so that's how you got started. Yep. Right. We just basically called a counselor. It wasn't like when we had the kid, I said, let's go see Doug again. And he's like, so what are you guys in here for? I said, nothing in particular. We're going to have a kid. And I just want to kind of have a dialogue open with you and say, is there any nuggets you can give us that we might go through? And he was like, that's why I love you guys. It's being proactive. I said, yeah, well, I'm not going to wait till the problem. I might as well come in here and go, what are the problems that could happen in the next six months? Let's just get them on the table and talk about it. Smart. Awareness, anticipation, action, right? The three A's. And having a team too, because I know you really talk a lot about teamwork. And I remember when we first took over your property, it, I was kind of giggling to myself because I had you never met this. you yeah, before. This and I'm awesome. like, this guy, it's like we're on the football field. He's like, this is <laughs> yeah. team. I'm going to do this and you're going to do that. And then yeah, we're going to circle back. back she's and... like, you can tell yourself. He's like, okay, everybody over here, we got together. I was like, yeah. yes. It was like, yeah. But, but, yeah. but it is, it was contagious though. It was like this really positive, like, like nurturing, cool thing to be a part of because people just don't operate like that right. mostly. So I thought this must be a football thing. I don't know, but it's awesome. So, but like, where did you, did you learn the teamwork? Was that a lot of football? Yeah. Um, and how has it carried out through your life? Yeah, that's a great question. It, it, and appropriate too, because you guys are a team. And you're a two-person team, right? So your company is a team, right? You you with your daughter. And, yeah. and I mean, that, that there's all these different teams. Teams are two or more people working together for, mm -hmm. you know, a single defined cause. Sometimes it's not defined. So in sports, I got that. At De La Salle, I lost two games in high school. At Notre Dame in four years, I lost seven games. So I'd lost what? nine times before I got to the NFL. So when you lost, it really hurt then. Oh. Losses are not oh. the business that we're yeah. in. in sports. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I joke yeah. sometimes and say, there's two things, Kenny, I'm not good at. Winning and losing. I'm, yeah. I'm a bad loser and I'm a terrible winner. Uh. I like to rub it in people's faces. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I did a lap on my wife around our kitchen table because I beat her in chess. I was like, yeah! Oh, Girl, check a mate. Matey, 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 matey. Yes! <laughs> That's, like what that's what we do here. Sure. Yes, I love it. Oh, my God. Oh. That's, that's the immature part of me. I'm yes. <laughs> but I think in that process, you know, nine games of losing in high school and college and then going to back-to-back -back Super Bowls in Green Bay. Wow, right? that's crazy. Winning one of those. Coming up short, Super Bowl 32, ironically, here in San Diego against oh. John Horse Teeth Elway. 
not. Not bitter about that. Moving oh, on, moving boy. on, moving on. Moving on. Oh. <laughs> mister, bring out the mister, please. Yeah. What uh what I've come to understand, we created a, a college football award called the Joe Moore Award, named after my position coach at Notre Dame. And he sent fifty-two dudes to the NFL in eighteen seasons. That's wow. almost an average of three per year. Unprecedented, never happened again. It's chock full of college football and NFL Hall of Famers. Coach most notably at Pitt at Notre Dame, our paths cross at Notre Dame. So we had this team of people that just kind of aggregated. And once they found out what it is we were doing, which was creating the first ever group or unit award in college football, where football, ironically, is the consummate team sport, but they've got 26 awards that are all individual. They all celebrate the antithesis of what makes the sport what it is. So we changed that, and we created something called the Joe Moore Award, which goes to the most outstanding offensive line unit, tackle to tackle. So in that process, people were like, yeah, I love that, celebrating toughness and teamwork and what it takes to you know, be together and that you know, we're not it, we're part of it. Our job is to allow other people to do their jobs and yada, yada, yada. In that process, we pulled off something that is miraculous, we built the biggest trophy that the foundry and the award-winning artist had ever done in the shortest amount of time. It's 800 pounds, seven wow. feet tall, six feet wide. Wow. Looks like a damn a sarc- statue. Like a sarcophagus. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> people joke around, it's like, Joe buried there? <laughs> damn thing's big enough. But we, we felt it was proportional, or, or appropriate rather, to create an award that if it took five to earn it, it should take five to lift it. So wow. it's sizable, cool. but so is the values and the principles that we're upholding. All that is to say, when we got done with year one, man, I I stopped and looked back and was like, how in the hell did we do this? What ends up of us pulling off six different people, only my wife Lena and I were in the same place at the same time because we lived together. Everybody else was remote. We never once met face-to-face as a team. We did it all virtually and all remotely. Wow. What we had in common was that we were all at least collegiate athletes we had played at least at that level so darren played basketball at harvard john played uh basketball at depaul jack played hoops at marquette like everybody had a sports background and there were some kind of best practices that i got curious about that i'm like how the hell did we do this like i have this knack of ending up on these really good teams and I didn't know why. So I started to study it and reverse engineer it and kind of go back and ask questions. And I won't take you through everything, but the bottom line is this. The most important element of teamwork is trust. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because it says in the inevitable times of adversity that you can count on me, that I will do my job, that I will be there, that I will find a way no matter what. And when you've got that as your foundation, you can put anything else you need, a divorce, uh, a health opportunity, infidelity, uh, an economy turning, uh, 100% vacancy. If you've got that foundation of trust on your team, you've got a shot. Doesn't guarantee that it's going to work out, but you've got a shot. If you don't have that, I don't give a shit how much talent you have or how much money you have. It ain't going to be enough. It's going to implode. So that element of teamwork... And that notion of what's possible when people come together for the common good and are willing to sacrifice their personal gain for the stated mission, whether that's between husbands and wives, whether that's between dads and moms and their children, whether that's between companies or even in a huddle, 
Mm-hmm. That element has to be there. And we have that on the Joe Moore Award team. I've got that in my marriage. I've got that with my kids. And that, to me, is where it all starts. When you're talking about a team, two or more people working together towards something, if you don't have that critical element of trust, you ain't got shit. Right. So yeah. work on that. And if it's not there and you can't create it, move on. I agree. Yeah. Um, to kind of – let's talk a little about football. Um I know you, your career, you went into that, but you, so you're a sportscaster. Mm-hmm. And I know one of the things Crystal told me, um, which, you know, you don't, if you're not a sportscaster, you don't pay attention, but you have to, you're gone, like, for a certain amount of time during the year, right? Yeah. So yeah. how's kind of being a sportscaster now? It's a different role. How's that? And then how's that being, how do you deal with that being gone from the fam? family? It's tough, man. <clears throat> um, so I get paid to talk about sports. Right. So talk about winning the damn lottery. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and to give my opinion, and I don't necessarily have to be right. Like I'm not graded. Um, so in a lot of ways, I'm still on scholarship, right? Like football was the gift that keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. And I just back the truck up. They fill it with a little bit of money and I drive away and say, thanks. I'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> when I was playing the game, I was the parent of my sport. I lived it. I breathed it. It was 24-7. Every single day, I gave it whatever it needed. Now, as an analyst, I'm the grandparent. I get it on the weekends. I get to have some fun. And during the week, it's somebody else's problem. So from an employment standpoint, it's really good. I love it. The challenge is the network I work for, CBS Sports, is in New York City. And for a while... I would ask my wife and children to move to New York. We'd do half the school year there in the fall, and then in the spring wow. we'd come back to San Diego. That was great in kindergarten, first grade, but as my two boys got older, they started expressing some challenges and concerns. And then we had the surprise, Gina, with, uh, <laughs> with our daughter Nia being born. <laughs> yep. Um, for the hockey fans out, out there, I got one through the five hole. It uh, was an <laughs> unexpected <laughs> surprise, um, but very welcomed. But it just became too much to ask my wife to move to New York. So we made, I don't want to say a fateful decision, but three years ago we said, okay, you guys stay there. I'll go rent a furnished apartment. I'll be based in New York. I'll travel out of there, and we'll just power through it. She's a former athlete herself, two-time Sick. Olympian, beach volleyball, wow. went to the University of Idaho and played indoor there. Sick. Um, so we're like, yeah, 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 we'll do it. And it's been this last off season, literally like within the last three or four months, we really realized how much of a toll that had taken and not in a good way, not in a positive way. And I remember before she dropped me off at the airport this past season, before the 2018 season, I looked at her and I said, I feel like the boat is starting to drift away from the dock. And I said, we've each got a foot on the boat and we've each got a foot on the dock. And I said, it's okay right now, but if this boat keeps drifting, it's going to be bad. Yeah. And, like, bye, I love you. (laughs) Like, I got on the plane and flew to New York. And that, for us, started a conversation about, okay, what's the boat? You know, let's define this metaphor. And, you know, started actively getting in counseling again during the season when I had the least amount of time possible a lot of times those were on nights that I would tape our shows or before game. It was like a disaster. And every part of me was like, don't do that. Like, don't, don't go to marriage counseling before you're going to be on air. And, you know, that's gotta be hard. Yeah. Um, 
But that was another example of, man, we can't afford to not do this. Yeah. Like there's too much at stake. And I think to me at the end of the day, that speaks to having your priorities right. Like it's great. Like I made a fair amount of money playing in the NFL. Mm -hmm. But at 28 years old, I owned a house. I had no debt. I had several coffee cans buried in the backyard that had some money. I had no kids somehow. Um, <laughs> I was the living, breathing American dream. I had it all. My neighbors, any of them would have traded places with me. But it was the darkest, most miserable place and, and period of my life. And that was another fork in the road where I turned things around. And all that is to say is the job is great, but if I let that be most important, then there's a chance that I could lose everything trying to, to do something. And we were unwilling to do that. So that's an example where our team came together and we huddled up and said, all right, let's figure this out. And we're going to celebrate our 11th wedding anniversary. Sorry about that drop right there. That was me. I get excited. I like that theme music. Um, <laughs> we're going to have our 11th uh, wedding anniversary. So the college football gig is fun, dude. I, I dig it. I really like the guys that I work with. Um, but there's, I don't know how much time we got, but the four pillars of fulfillment, I call them. When I retired, I realized that sports gave me the following four things. And, and this is true for, I think, a lot of transitions. And income, how I make my money and, and receive value mm -hmm. for the value that I bring. My identity, how I'm known to the world. And underneath that is how I'm known to myself. But more than that, it's also purpose. Why do I get out of bed? Why am I here? And significance, which is about how I make a difference. We had all that in one thing. And I didn't even have to think about it. I just woke up and went to practice. It was, it was there. So when it went away, I was like, shit. Like, I couldn't drink enough. I couldn't party enough. I couldn't go to enough things to try to replace this hole that was there that was filled up by stuff I was completely unaware of. So for me, moving forward, it took me 10, almost 15 years to figure out that those were the four elements. So for me, my income and identity is what I do on TV. Hey, aren't you the guy I saw you on the game the other day? Da, 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 and I make 94% of the money we need to cover our nut during the college football season. But the purpose and significance piece is what we're doing here. It's this stuff that we're talking about. That, to me, is the way I can stay balanced and feel purposeful and feel significant. Go have some fun. Go make some money. But at the end of the day, how am I improving the world? How am I giving back? so freely what's been given to me and i found for me my my this my own formula that when i can check those four boxes of identity income purpose and significance that that to me is what wholeness and balance feels like that's amazing i love that yeah most of us are looking for how we fill that <laughs> void. And it's kind of similar for us too, even with value add is that it's great what you do on a daily basis to, like you said, pay the bills or get you on that vacation that you want to mm -hmm. go to. But it's like what, there's got to be more than that, right? Mm -hmm. There's more. That's why, I mean, it's fun. Cause I honestly uh, look forward to Fridays just cause we get to do this stuff. You know, it's super fun and um, you never know where the conversation is going to go or what people are going to say. Cause sometimes you just because you know somebody, you don't even know the story. So you'll hit they're like, holy smokes, I didn't know that, but it's cool. So um, we get we get forward to, you know, we get to talk to this and do this. And I feel like we're able, like you said, to add value to people through just having conversations. Yeah. But you probably have talked to a lot of athletes that have been in that exact same position. Is that something that you 
are really going to target with your podcast and is it something that you give talks on? How does that work? Because I'm sure there's so many people in in that place that you were at that haven't been able to find that. I mean, you see stories of this all the time too with athletes. It's 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 sad, you know, that somebody that would have this, like you said, we most of us would trade places any day to just live in their shoes. But when they're in it or when it's over, they don't, they feel the opposite. Yeah. You know, how do you? Yeah, that's, that's a a great observation and a way to contextualize that. So for, for me, that was the greatest gift I ever got. I thought, Mm -hmm. was it 28? I had reached the pinnacle of what it takes some people in their sixties to get to. And I realized that stuff and things and notches on bedposts and, and check marks are not the answer. It wasn't about stuff and things because I had all that. So yeah. if that's not the answer, then what is? Dun, dun, dun. Tune in next week. And it was like <laughs> you started off down this path of, okay, let me go answer this question. And that looked like there was a little bit of a crack in my heart. And I just put my fingers in there and ripped it open and, and started on what, looking back, has been this lifelong journey, right? Mm -hmm. I was transitioning from being a professional athlete to the real world. Naively, I thought I was going to be retired, and I was going to fish, and I was going to hunt, and I was going to play golf, and life was going to be great. And I had this void, and that void was purpose and significance, right? The money was there. The identity is, you know, time wore on. you got to have a really good cable package right now to catch me (laughs) doing the games that I do. But it was really a story of transformation, like transition is really transforming, right? Mm-hmm. We're here. This is how we come into the world. This is where we want to end up. How do we get from where we are to where it is we want to be? What are the forks in the roads where we lead ourselves astray or we're led astray by other people? And that whole process of transformation, which is about becoming, is I got that at 28. And I got that when I got married at 35. And now I'm 46. And there's going to be something where I'm going to have to move out of what's familiar and known to me into the unfamiliar and the unknown. At the end of the day, that's what transition and transformation is about. It's about moving from the known world into the unknown world. And that is scary junk. So a lot of times we don't, and we resist it, and we hesitate. We don't take that step. We don't apologize when we know we're wrong. We don't do those things that make us feel uncomfortable because we're afraid. And that goes back to the goal in our lives being just beyond where we're afraid or unwilling to go. It's fear that gets in the way. And oftentimes we're left wondering as professional athletes and whether you're an elite athlete or an elite forces guy, spec ops. Yeah. Very similar situations on the back end. Mm -hmm. I want to candidly say on the front end, we're grown men playing a child's game. They're putting their lives on the line yeah. yep. to keep us safe. It's not even comparable. And on the back end, with the dudes that I talk to and work with, we're all going through the same stuff. For many of the same reasons, their PTSD is a little bit more significant given the nature of what they're asked to do versus kick field goals and convert fourth and ones. Yeah. But that known to the unknown are my best days behind me. How does it get better than this? Will it ever get better than this? Will it ever get good? And being clear about what it is you want and and what good has looked like. What what does it need to look like to to have all that? I don't know. I a lot of times we get stuck. As athletes, we get done. We feel like it's never gonna be as good as it was, so we sit on the sidelines and we point fingers and we blame other people and we go from being victors to victims. 
and it creates this downward spiral that catches so many of us that in extreme cases ends with uh, committed suicides. So when you were uh, at those forks in the road, though, what was it that like propelled you to take the harder path? I mean, was it intuition or what do you think it is that someone can use? I mean, when they're at this point in their life, like I can go this way or I can go that way. Yeah. What hit me was the paradox of choice and the reality for me sitting on the edge of my bed at 14 years old is that if I hadn't gotten up that morning, right, if I had succumbed to the fear, that was going to have consequences. And those consequences probably were going to be challenging. Instead, I decided to get up and go to practice, and I dealt with those known challenges. Mm-hmm. If we're in a situation like me where I've been sober 17 years before I worked in, walked in that first recovery meeting where a lot of people might know me and recognize me because I was on TV and I have to admit that I'm powerless, like that ain't what I do. That ain't yeah. how I created all this. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. Huh. But the reality is at the end of the day, it's hard work either way. It's hard work. If you guys go to counseling and have to have tough conversations because you're creating this new team that involves business and money, which is really underneath, that is security. It doesn't have anything to do with anything other than our ability to feel secure, like our deepest needs. So if one of you is doing something different that the other one doesn't think is right, it's not, hey, this is a bad business decision. This is, man, this could affect my safety. Yeah, That's why I get so activated. So... It's hard work either way. I'm getting off track. I, my mind is is sporadic. All good. Whether you guys go to counseling or not, either way, it's hard work. It's either having those tough, difficult conversations or it's going through a divorce and reinventing yourself and having children that are growing up on these two different homes. Either way, it's hard work. So you might as well pick the way that there's light at the end of the tunnel. And that's what I did on that moment when I sat on the bed. I realized that, There ain't no such thing as fair. There ain't no such thing as easy. You can have a life of accomplishment or you can have a life of comfort, but you can't have both. And you just got to figure out which one you want and be willing to do what's necessary to create it. But the reality is it's going to be hard work either way. So you might as well pick the way that's going to lead to the outcome that you want. Yeah, I I 100% because if you don't do the other, it's just, it's I always it say the hardest thing is usually the best decision, you know, yeah. and that's kind of, that's what I've used to navigate my own life is when I'm at that place is making that the harder choice is always the best choice. The comfortable thing is not going to give you the reward that you're looking for. So that that's kind of how I've utilized it. And I think you give such a picture though. I, I love the way that you talk because it gives you this vision of like you sitting on the bed. It's like you can almost envision what you had done if you had just slept in your mm. cozy bed and not woken up that next mm. morning. It would have felt good. Mm. But then what's every day after that? Yeah, right. Yeah. It, there's a different story. And that that's the, I'm a visual guy and I, I see the world that way. But like, we've got this blank journal in yep. our laps, right? And the pens in our hand. And the first stories to today, right now, this moment. That shit's written down. Yep. But everything after that is a blank page. And the pens in my hand. I can write whatever story I want. Mm-hmm. 
So it's important for me to know how I want this story to go, how I want it to end, which characters I want in it, what I want the plot to be, because I'm largely responsible for what that is. So I can't control the events in my life, but I can control how I respond to those events. And because of that, because I have control over that variable, I can largely affect the outcome on the back end. So being aware of, A, what is it that I want? B, what am I willing to do to create that? The power of choice, like it's, our lives are an open book, man. Like we can create and manifest and make and allow and receive everything we want. It's available. And we have to be willing to do what it takes to allow and create and receive those things. And that's where people go, I don't know about all that. Yeah. And that's true for me in my life. And I even know this. And I still struggle with that on a daily basis. What's um? What's a viewer? You want some more water? I'm good, man. Okay. You guys are good. What's a no I don't commercials know, a, in this deal? No. Nope. Okay. Nope. <laughs> we just keep going. Hang in there, guys. Monty can grab you another water. Um, what's a misconception about football that we don't know? <sighs> Maybe one or two. Or... Yeah, it's interesting. I was just talking with somebody today. Um, and I'll start with maybe a non-misconception, like a, a realization for me that on a down-by-down basis, I had to willingly put aside my basic human instincts to seek pleasure and avoid pain. Like that's a switch I had to flip. And I was, I learned that along the way, how to do that. That was a muscle that had to be strengthened over time. Um, I think some of the misconceptions is that everybody in the locker room likes each other. (laughs) That ain't true. But I will say this, culturally, everybody within a locker room on a successful team respects each other. You ain't got to like everybody, but you do have to respect people, places, and things, viewpoints, all that sort of stuff. Um, Not always the best guys play because general managers – uh, put their mark on it and draft guys. Um, there's going to be guys that play just be based on where they were drafted versus who's the best player on the team. And that's maybe some inside baseball stuff, if you will. But um, the football is, is the greatest game I think's ever been invented. It, it's taught me so much. And I think more than anything, it's taught me that I'm capable of doing and accomplishing and enduring and achieving way more than my mind tells me I can. I'm looking at your shirt, Kenny, with hashtag mindset, right? Like, it's critical. And when I'm working out, working out with my kids, and you know, I need a little extra motivation or inspiration, I'll, my mantra is the mind controls the body. The mind controls the body. Mm-hmm. The mind controls the body, not the other way around. And so true. learning that and trusting that and pushing yourself beyond where you, you think you're able to physically go is one of the greatest gifts that, that sports ever gave me. And Joe Moore taught me that in a profound way. Um, but there were other lessons along the way. Um, it's not all glory and glamour. There's there's a lot of bull jive that goes on that – I'll say this, football, without question, compensates you financially, tremendously. But it also taught me this, 
that making money can be expensive. And there's a hell of a price to pay for making money at times. Football is chock full of those examples, but so is the everyday world. So be conscious and clear about what price you're willing to pay to earn money. Because sometimes it's a hell of a lot more expensive than you think. Interesting. That's really powerful, yeah. What's um, what's the convert? Because I know you, you have to get this a lot. What's the conversation like when they're like, hey, Aaron, uh, my kid wants to be a pro football player. Yeah. And... Uh, How's you know, and you're looking at the kid going, <clears throat> well, well, good luck there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Is there, there's one you're looking at the kid going, wow, there's some potential. And there's another one you're like, well, this is a waste of time. But how, how did I, because I know you're getting those a lot. How does that conversation go? Yeah, uh, I get a lot from kids more so than I get from parents. You know what? I'll go and speak at schools or whatever and be like, oh, man, I got this dream playing in the NFL. I'm like, great, me too. Have a backup plan. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. And what let's are talk about other, plan B. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about your other three goals. <laughs> because the reality is this. I said, you could be the next Tom Brady or Joe Montana or Jerome Bettis, who was a college teammate of mine and recent Hall of Famer. You could have a 20-year NFL career, but the reality is you're going to be an ex-athlete a hell of a lot longer than you're ever going to play. 100%. So then what? Like, I was a first-round draft pick, 16th player overall, way out-invested and, and was conservative with my spinning habits, more so than almost all of my peers. And I work every day to pay my bills. Now, I can acquire some things and, again, was able to acquire buildings and move some things around and have some opportunities. But you're not going to make enough as much money that you're not going to have to do anything. So let's talk about what else we're interested in doing. Let's talk about the data that suggests and demonstrates quite clearly that if you have your college degree, you're going to play longer in the NFL and you're going to make more money. Let's talk about that. Hmm. So it's really just about opening up their eyes to the both and it's great to have a dream to play in the NFL and if that were to not take place because you had a fluke injury or something like that what else would you be interested in what else might you like to do that there's room for both to play in the NFL and get good grades and be extremely hireable in the marketplace when you're done with college that's really smart. Yeah, because I was going to uh, – people probably look at the glamorous side of things 100%. when they're wanting to play. And then I was also wondering, though, just with parents, because there's all this talk now, of course, about how damaging playing football can be, not mm-hmm. just from maybe, you know, regular injuries, but just how damaging – how you know, damaging it can be to your brain and all of these things. What do you say to parents who have – I mean, I know personally so many people who have – boys that want to play football and these parents do not want to let their kids play mainly because of the health risks yeah and i'm a i'm a dad with two sons yeah yeah 10 and nine and i come from a family that's got late stage dementia and alzheimer's and has addiction and impulse control issues that are all things that coincidentally are secondary to cte and tbi and head trauma and all those sort of things so my children are at particular risks and there's smoke there There's things that I go through on a daily basis, and the dudes that I work with and I talk with, I've now lost six guys that I played with or worked with directly in the NFL that completed their suicides. That's extreme cases. Uh, That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Was one of them local? Yes. Okay. Um, That was very 
well tough. publicized the junior yep. seau yep. um that's how it's... damn kenny <laughs> sorry oh that's all right it's all good uh i didn't know that so no yeah he yeah Whew, man that was it, a tough one it 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 closes in on dudes and it doesn't have to and it's not as simple at all as junior played football and therefore he committed suicide like that's a linear chain. You play football, you have head injuries, you kill yourself. That's not true at all. It's a spider web. There's a lot of different factors that go into that. Um, that's an extreme case where stars align. I'm privy to all the other stuff that was going on. Sure. Um, and if you're going to get your head concussed multiple times, it's going to lead to damage. Now, what that damage means is arguable. I've got brain scans myself that demonstrate there's white damage, uh, white cell matter damage in my frontal lobes, that there's some evidence of different proteins that are, you know, alerts. What that means, I don't know, but <laughs> we'll see. Um, it's, it's challenging. Youth sport participation is significantly down within football. It's moving to more things like soccer and lacrosse, mm -hmm. but soccer is the second leading cause of concussion yeah. in I was gonna the NCAA. Say, it's crazy. So the good news is, is we're learning more. I, I was with a, neuro, <clears throat> excuse me, a neurosurgeon yesterday and um, recently and talking with him about how there's some evidence to suggest that if you have a ketogenic diet and sustain a brain injury, that it significantly lessens the brain trauma wow. as a result. So that's being demonstrated in certain fields, in animals and things, very early in the research, but it's encouraging because there's some suggestions that what we put into our bodies with diet can lessen events should they occur and that would be really really helpful for football so there's the more we learn i think the better off we're going to be the the sport's going to be fine like it there were 18 people that died on the field in the early 1900s and teddy roosevelt brought all the powers that could be in the football world to dc and said hey if you guys don't figure this out we're going to make this game illegal so that was pop warner that was walter camp that was some of the the major names in the sport yeah. of football mm -hmm. And secondary to that, they implemented the neutral zone. They implemented the forward pass. They implemented four tries for a first down. All these different things that the game morphed and transformed. So I think we're in one of those periods right now where we're seeing the game evolve. And ultimately, I think that's a good thing. It's a great sport. Yeah. Um, it does, like the orthopedic stuff, like I've blown more stuff out and had more surgery. I could care less. Like that's going to happen. Right. But the neurocognitive stuff, that's a concern. But... The game is now safer than it was when I played, and that's encouraging because I think we're going to learn, secondary to all this stuff, what it's going to take to make sure that my children can either play the sport or enjoy watching it. Is it safer through equipment? <sighs> A little bit. I think it's safer in practice habits okay. and safer in rules. With targeting where you can't target the head or neck area, you can't use the crown of the head, which is the old spearing rule that you know you and I grew up with. Um, you hear the defenders complain all the time. We can't even touch these guys. You can't threaten a receiver coming across the middle as a safety, and it's easy for the, the offense. And there's some truth to that. And it beats the hell out of the alternative, so they're going to deal with it. Yeah. Um, this is a big topic always is um, there's, you know, like you are saying, there's football, there's injury, and then these guys come out and they make a lot of money. And five years later – 
you see some story that the guy's broke. <clears throat> and I think um, I feel like that's kind of changing. I don't know. I was gonna I was gonna ask your take on that because so many young guys are making money now, and I know before they didn't have all the information. There's so much more information just because the internet. But I hope people have learned from past like that. Literally, they make so much money, and obviously. We're all here. We're believers of passive income and making even us. We're making our money work for us. So instead of buying all this crap we don't need, it's like go get a vehicle that is a machine that kicks off money. Then you can go buy what you want, right? Oh my God. That's our that's our philosophy. And you know, people and Dave tells you these stories of people that have a you know these cash flow machines. It's like, hey, then you can go do what you want. But why, why do you think it is these guys are just? Is it they get bad advice and what, what, why? Why do you think this is being in the like in the football? You know. Yeah, that, that's man. It's crazy. Just it, the stories it is crazy. I've heard. Uh, it's getting better. I think two things: guys are making more money and they're making better decisions with their money. Typically, what happens? It's, I call it the pretty girl syndrome. Mm-hmm. Crystal may be considered an attractive woman. Going out to the bar, dudes hitting all over you, right? At some point, you learn to put a wall up. Like, I don't want to listen to it. So as athletes, whether it's your cousin, your homeboy, your this and that, people always come at you, and it's like you end up putting a wall up. So in that process, we have these trust issues. So we don't make very good decisions based off that because we don't trust you. We're afraid to move, so we go with somebody we do trust, like our Uncle Tito. Now, Uncle Tito may be trustworthy, but he may not be the best qualified guy to <laughs> open a restaurant or a bar with, yeah. right? And you shouldn't be opening a restaurant or a bar anyway if you want to keep your money. So I think us making as a population very broad brush professional athletes, I think we made poor decisions on who to trust and how to invest that money. But secondarily, it's the lottery syndrome. It's the same reason the family... <clears throat> That wins the lottery in hundred million that broke in five years. Broke in five years because they don't know how to manage it. They they have no experience mm-hmm. in what to do, so it gets mismanaged, and they take what could be a generationally changing event and they squander it because they're ignorant and not in a negative sense of that word, but just uneducated about what it takes to to manage the nuances of finances and those sort of things. So. The NFL Players Association has something now they call the trust. It's six pillars of support. Part of that is is financial advice and resources that are vetted, people that cannot invest your money. They've given their Series 7s up, and they'll look at deals for you. There's an FBI background check that if you want to invest with anybody, I can submit both your names, and they can run anything you want. That's cool. Staggeringly. Crystal, it is cool because over 94% of the names that get submitted come back with something on it. Wow. Well, and I was just saying that too because uh, a lot of these kind of money managers too for these athletes, I mean, we've seen it too. Like these guys are being paid to be money managers and then they're like skimming off everything. Like, hey, uh, I'll only work with you if you give me a little – you know, well, and so their yeah. their interests are not being supported really for these trusted advisors, and it's just insane that you're so busy doing your thing in football or basketball or baseball or whatever it is, and you've got this person who's supposed to be watching your stuff. You trust them. That's but what it is. I I get it because if you're seeing somebody who's making all this money, you're like, great, I could make a good living off of this too. At yeah. some point, the line gets blurry. Yep. 
And that's where I see some of this sometimes. And I'm like, man, if somebody could just reach out to this person and let them know this is happening, like this is sad. Yeah. We're all guilty of not knowing what we don't know, right? You don't know what yeah. you don't know. So my whole thing is, is again, it goes back to trust and, and, and teamwork and that sort of thing. But like, put your faith in God, but wear a damn life jacket, right? Like, have yeah. some <laughs> checks and balances <laughs> yes. to make sure that people, like, if if somebody was going to get over on me, they had to get over on my lawyer, they had to get over on my accountant, and they had to get over on uh, my financial advisor. Or, or or all three of those had to be in collusion somehow. Right. So even locally here in San Diego with John Gillette and all the money that he stole from NFL guys mid-90s and early 2000s. You can Google him, San Diego guy. All into the guise of, you know, being a man of God and got crosses all over his day. He was robbing people blind. Yeah. So you never know. But if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And just, you know, audit. You know, ask the tough questions. Like, lift the hood up. Check and balance it. And if somebody's concerned and offended by the questions you're asking then that should be a red flag that maybe more inquiry is is needed. The truth is simple. It doesn't need a whole lot of explaining. Yeah. So if you get into the, well, you see it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Run! Red flag. <laughs> Run away! Yes. Yeah, that Run makes away. sense. Um, so you're going to start a podcast. And um, can you kind of tell us what you're going to talk about and, like, um, when you're going to start, what you're going to talk about? And I, I know it's going to be about a passion subject, but... I, I I want first of all to do a little sidebar on your hair right now. You should start a podcast. My hair good on the man wig you got going. Like <laughs> on I, the I wanna, man wig. I want to know. I want to know product. Okay. I want to know style. Yep. I want to know inspiration. Like yep. how does all oh, that just doesn't happen? How does it come to be? It's pretty fast. Yeah. I can hook fingers? you. Fingers? Is it fingers? Wavy comb? Like, well, like walk off, us through Mr. it, Mr. Brown. We started Mr. Brown. We cut it. Okay. Then we take a shower. I shampoo my hair every time. It's easier. Then we do two to three minutes of blow drying. And then I found this product. Mr. What? Do you want to be honest? We're going to be I mean, I mean, this is what okay? we do on K&K. Um, and then we have, what's the product? Is it you don't even blue, know. whatever? It's online. Yeah. Little in the hand. You hear that? And then you put it in there over there. And I'm done. Good. It's maybe five minutes. Five. I'm kind of particular about his hair, too. Okay. I tell him when he goes to get a haircut, I'm like, don't come back with that short hair. You got to, like, let it be long. He has a beautiful head of hair. Like, he has so much hair. We'll get into a podcast, but I want to hear the, the origin story of you two. Like, was it his hair that attracted to you to him first? Like, what Do you was really it? want to know what it was? Yeah. My mother wanted tall, blonde grandkids. That's <laughs> face. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah, she's not even here. Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's her. out sick today, but... Yeah. But Did she meet her? It was oh, like, yeah. She was at the Opportunity Zone thing. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So straight, like, genetic mapping, like, just your... My mother. Your, yeah. I said, this is your best shot. You know what Crystal says? This is an arranged marriage. <laughs> wow. That's pretty arranged. So what did you have to give for, like, three goats, or what was the deal? <laughs> Crystal's more of a four-goat gal. This is gal. like some Game of Thrones crap here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I give you goats for your daughter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what the hell were we talking about? Podcasting. Your yes. podcast. Um, yes. I digress. Uh, my podcast is going to be called Momentum Shift. 
and it's all about shifting the momentum in our lives. But I'm a solutions type of cat. So it's going to be a solutions-based audio resource to improve mental health performance in our lives to create better outcomes of the stuff that we want that's important to us. So obviously, they'll have, uh, we'll have a focus on athletes and student athletes, and kind of that's the population in the world that I live. But a lot like we're doing here, it's basic you know, information that I think can help in a wide variety of, of circles and people and genres and age groups and demographics and that sort of thing. But I think it's time that we have some real talk about what a lot of us are going through. But instead of just dialoguing about that and then massaging it, let's talk about what we're doing. Let's create some tools and some avenues, some things to try so that we can go home in our marriages and our businesses or before the red light comes on and I'm holding the microphone and have some things to think about or do or some processes leading up to that cool. that can then create better outcomes. So think of it like uh, the view meets the TED talk with some Dr. Drew thrown in. Nice. I think it's going to be, like that. yeah, we're going to have, you know, industry experts on a, a wide variety of subjects. The first one's going to be uh, appropriately transition and transformation and we'll take a, a holistic look and approach to that and do a real deep dive on that to give people that are going through change moving from the known to the unknown some uh, some, some bearings and some signposts so that they can kind of help navigate that journey a little bit more smoothly. I'm really excited for your podcast to come out just knowing the kind of guy that you are and y- you get deep but you're also kind of like silly and <laughs> funny about it and it's good yeah and and like you said even though it's focused on athletes i can imagine that a lot of the things that we talked about i mean that you learned on the field apply in your life in fact i think it could help set you up in your life if you take those nuggets with you and hopefully you can share those with the world kind of like how you taught me about being a team and you know managing properties it's like those little things though in your life that you can kind of take away and apply yeah everywhere that's it. So I got some rapid fire questions. Shaboom. Okay. What's the best piece of advice that ever been given to you in your life? Trust the process. Wow, that was quick. <laughs> the best piece of advice you're going to give somebody in their life? Step in the fear. It's worth it. Um, it's fourth down. There's five seconds left. Serve balls on the line. Um, you have to make it one yard to win. What the hell is going on in your head? 23 ice. I hope they run behind me. Um, honestly, don't fudge this up. (laughs) 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 That's real talk. And that's part of why I'm starting the podcast, because that is the absolute worst thing that you can think while you're up at the line of scrimmage. So I struggled with my confidence as a player and the negative thoughts and the tapes. And I think the simplest way to describe it is, I think a lot of us oftentimes listen to ourselves too much and that voice and that tape. And we, know, we need to talk to ourselves more. So walking up to the line of scrimmage, you got this. This is the moment. You've put the time in. Can't wait to see how this plays out. You're ready. Like those, I get tingles thinking mm-hmm. about that because you want to be in a very confident, low-stress state to, to create the best outcome that you would want the worst state you can be in for any sort of task is to be high stress, low confidence. So in those big moments, having a tape or a mantra or something and yeah. affirmations. I've got affirmations on my phone, my iPhone in my mm-hmm. pocket that I start every day with. I've nice. got two that are three minutes and one's kind of a morning prayer deal that's about 45 seconds every single day. 
and I call that fighting fire with fire. Because <laughs> I got the tape, I got the little little dude in my head, the little gorilla that is always up and monkeying around and trying to tinker with stuff. And that's just based on all the stuff that's happened to me throughout my life. And I think yep. a lot of us are that way. So yeah, I, I fight fire with fire and throw my earbuds in and in my own voice that I've recorded it, yep. I listen to the affirmations and it helps to balance the ledger a little bit. That's cool. I love it. I like that. That's, awesome. that's a good idea. Um, do you back to that? Do you the the guys that you play with are the best, the great guys? When they when it's that, are they like, are they thinking I'm gonna get this? Is yeah, I man, I it's, is it's it, are they struggling too? No, no, I I think I was particularly mental. Um, <laughs> I I think the great ones are ready for it. They relish it. They want that's it. when they want. They, they want it. I this is the moment, and I'm this is like when you're in Tom bed, Brady's like, let's go. Yeah, we got this. And Far was that way, man. Yeah, he would, oh, he sure. would come into the, the huddle and be like, you know, give me time. We got this, boys. You give me some time. This is a touchdown. And there would be these big moments. And uh, I'll give you a great example. So my shoot had to be junior year, and it was November 14th, 1992. Because I know that because it was my birthday. We were playing Penn State in South Bend. And what has now been referred to as the snow bowl. So imagine a fall afternoon where it's snowing and you're playing against a team in white with this blue stripe, black oh shoes, Joe Paterno, <laughs> like throwback old school. And for those that have never been in the snow or played football, it's this weird, eerie thing that happens when the snow comes down because it's it's like baffling in, in terms of or muffling or probably getting this wrong but like the soundproofing like it it's quiet and oh, soft okay. right so like everything that happens there's this kind of quiet nature of it even if people are cheering the yeah. snow somehow absorbs the sound so we had worked our way down and called a tv timeout and we had scored a touchdown to to, to go down by one so we have the option to kick the extra point and tie the game up. But back then, there was no overtime. So we the game basically would have ended in a tie. So Lou Holtz, our head coach, calls a timeout. TV takes a timeout, too. So we've got two or three minutes to kind of deal with this. And Rick Meyer, our quarterback, is over there talking with Holtz. And we're in the huddle like, oh, my God, what's going to be? What's it going to be? Like, we're out there on the field. It's going to be a damn two-point conversion. We're going to do it. So we're sitting there in the huddle, and the, the officials, you know, whistle, and Rick yeah. comes back. And we're like, what's the play? What's the play? And he's like, who's got it tonight? We're like, what? <laughs> who's got the first round tonight? We're like, what are you talking Who's got the first round of drinks after we win this game? And I think Todd Norman was like, I, I got it. <laughs> okay, good. Boom. And he calls the play. And it caught us. I get tingles. Mind shift. We were so caught off guard by, he's like, who the hell's buying the first round of drinks (laughs) that we all forgot to be nervous? Unfortunately, or fortunately for me, I got beat right off the snap. (laughs) (laughs) And it went from, oh shit, throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it, no, no, no. Yes, 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 yes. Oh my God. I got beat right off the snap, which forced Rick. Uh, to roll to his right, and he just lays this beautiful ball up. And he's running away from Tayoka Jackson, number 97, later played at Tampa. Good dude. And lays it, and he's throwing it at Reggie Brooks, who was NFL yeah. Rookie of the Year in 1995. Great guy. Still works at Notre Dame now. Got wow. 77 kids. 
Um, <laughs> Reggie couldn't catch a damn cold, but he laid out and caught that two-point conversion, and that was ball game. We ended up winning by one. And wow. I always use that story as an example of in those big moments, what do the great ones do? And Rick knew from his leadership standpoint what was at stake and what was on the line. But he also knew that the best chance for us to perform is if we just did our jobs. We didn't have to worry about what was at stake. So he distracted us intuitively. And I've talked to him about it. He's like, I have no idea. I don't even remember that. But he just did it intuitively, wow. and the result was what it was. What's your uh, favorite hobby? Fishing, man. I, I, I love. I, 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 he said, he said he's going to say fishing or something. No, because yeah. I think you and Dave, Dave take a yeah. trip or something. Yeah, I, I okay. love being on the. I don't even need to have a damn hook in the water. I just love being out there. It's great. Nice. Um, what is what is one thing that we don't know that we need to know? I'm a in damn. Life. I'm a damn good cook. Really? I'm a damn good. Cook. I like it. I like Does Lena like to cook? No. Oh, ah. so you're the so cook. He, she, uh, I should say what do you that. cook good? She's What's a your very, best meal? Very good cook. I love my wife's cooking, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Happy wife is happy. Oh. Um, we've got a good arrangement. Like, I love to cook, and she loves to clean. So yeah. we're a match made in heaven. You are, huh? And that's how I learned to cook, because when I was a kid, it was just my mom and I. And I hated cleaning the kitchen. So she's like, well, if you know like, how to fine, cook, I'll make I'll it. So teach me yeah. how to cook. And she did. And I've been cooking ever since. So um, I love cooking and being creative. I think that's where I'm at my best. Like, I'm not a guy, you give me a blank piece of paper, I'm going to draw up this recipe that's never been done. But if you give me something that's really good and give me the base elements, I can put my own twist on it. And, nice. And it'll come out all right. So that's kind of cool. like what I do in my life, too. Just... Get, put some bumpers on. Tell me what the rules of the game are, and, and, you make and you'll make it interesting. And I'm gonna make. I'm gonna put a little twist on it. <laughs> yep, um, I like it. What's your why? Oh man, we're really getting at, getting at it today over here. Jeez, Louise, Doctor Phil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, service. I think to to serve to. To give back, to be a part of. Um, it's interesting, man. I think for the better part of my life, there was a voice, and if I'm honest, it's still there every once in a while, that I'm a piece of junk and I'm not enough. And there's been these things in my life that have happened that have reinforced that, and that's a lie that I've ended up believing. But I think looking back, the reality is it's, it's that I, not that I'm not enough. It's that I'm too much of what I'm not. So it's not about picking things up and becoming something. It's about losing and shedding the skin of what I'm not so that I can just be who I've really been the whole damn time. So that process of being of service, of giving back the spiritual fruitcake, however you want to frame it, I've just observed that the more I give it away, the more I get to keep. And I used to shy and run away from that and think, oh, I'm going to be altruistic and I'm going to help these kids and go to <laughs> Sri Lanka after the tsunami and all this stuff that I've done and I'm, a, you know, this goody-goody. But there's a mutual benefit there. Mm -hmm. And yep. there's plenty of room to make money and a difference. And at the end of the day, if the best thing that I've ever done is win a Super Bowl and work for CBS Sports and I'm falling so damn short in my life, it would be a travesty. So... Affecting change, being a part of that, um, 
and giving back is, I think, what gets me up in the morning and keeps me going. That's really cool. I like that. Um, what's next for you, and how can people find you, and especially when your podcast is going to come out? Uh, I'll be on the ocean a lot fishing. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, we're in the process of I've got an interview set up, and cool. we're going to record that, and anticipating a July one launch on uh, the summer of two thousand and nineteen. There'll be a website. Uh, I don't know what that's going to be called yet. My wife is taking care of that. She's nice. really good with that sort of stuff. Cool. Um, but, yeah, draft shows coming up, CBS Sports Network. Um, I'm on Twitter at Aaron Taylor CFB, but I'm going to create some other stuff around the stuff that we've been talking about. We're going to get them on social. What? <laughs> I can't wait to get on InstaFace. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks Thank for coming you. by. Thanks for, uh, you know, diving in and just kind of letting loose and having fun with us. Thanks, man. This is great. What you, uh, you guys are trailblazers, man. It's funny. I sent a text to my buddy uh, who's an old Canadian hockey player. And he's mm -hmm. in his 50s and he's down in Mexico. He's dyslexic, doesn't speak the language, but he's a hell of a coffee roaster. And he's got this great business called Baja Beans. Mm -hmm. It's the best damn coffee and latte I've ever had in my life. Wow. And oh his God. name's yeah. Alec, and he's flying over to Guadalajara now to source more beans. And I just sent him a text yesterday, and I, I, it's funny. And what I'm realizing real, real time when I'm talking is that I, I gravitate and like to party with these sorts of people, yourselves included, where there are a lot of people that sit around and wonder, what if? Mm -hmm. and have regrets about, man, I should have took more chances. I should have done this. And when the text I sent to him was, but you don't do that, eh? I said, you jump over the wall and you skate. And I said, I don't know whether your ass is going to win the game and have more points at the end of the game or not, but I do know that you will win because you're out here skating your ass off. And I appreciate and respect people that do that, and you guys are doing that in your own way, in your own little field, um, with real estate and all the other things you guys have. And to me, I respect that. It's admirable. Not many people do that. Not enough people do that. But you guys are doing it. So I'm happy to be here. And uh, let's do it again. Appreciate it. Thank Absolutely. You. Cool. Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.